0: Hello everyone, welcome to episode 2 of season 2 of Audiobookish. I'm here with Poppy Knight. Hello! And today we're going to be covering one of Poppy's favourite audiobooks, his Dark Materials. Uh, Poppy, would you like to tell the good folks about his Dark Materials?
1: Oh, I definitely would. Um, super excited about this. So here's kind of a summary. Brought to you by Penguin, featuring an exclusive bonus interview between the author Philip Pullman and His Dark Materials star Ruth Wilson, now a major BBC series. Without this child, we shall all die. Elira Belacqua lives half-wild and carefree among the scholars of Jordan College, with her demon Pantalaimon always by her side. But the arrival of her fearsome uncle, Lord Asriel, draws her to the heart of a terrible struggle, a struggle born of stolen children, witch clans and armoured bears. As she hurtles towards danger in the cold far north, Lyra never suspects the shocking truth. She alone is destined to win, or to lose, the biggest battle imaginable. Read by Philip Pullman and a full cast of narrators.
0: And just a quick bio on Philip Pullman. Philip Pullman was born in Norwich and educated in England, Zimbabwe, Australia and Wales. He studied English at Exeter College in Oxford. His first children's book, Count Carlstein, was published in 1982. To date, he has published 33 books read by children and adults alike. His most famous work is the His Dark Materials trilogy. These books have been honoured by several prizes, including the Carnegie Medal, the Guardian Children's Book Prize, and for the Amber Spireglass, the Whitbread Book of the Year Award. The first time that prize has been given to a children's book, Pullman has received numerous other awards, including the Eleanor Fajion Award and the Astrid Lindgren Award. He was knighted in 2019 uh, New Year's on a list for services to literature. I'd first like to start off by thanking Penguin Random House Audio mm-hmm. for granting us access to these review copies of the audiobooks. So these are new releases. So the Northern Lights, His Dark Materials audiobook contains... An interview between philip pullman and ruth wilson who plays mrs coulter in um the bbc tv series so because this is one of your favorite books i just thought um how excited were you by kind of being granted review copies
1: Oh yeah, I mean definitely. So we were fortunate enough to, you know, be talking to Penguin about us reviewing some stuff. And yeah, one of the things that they mentioned was this His Dark Materials trilogy and so immediately jumped on it. Um as I mentioned in the last episode, I'd already started re-listening to Northern Lights, anyway. It's the kind of thing where I knew that this um, re release was coming out. So they're not new audiobooks. They are the same audiobooks that were published ages ago and that I listened to as a child, but they have been re released. And especially, like you say, Northern Lights, the first book, has been re released with this exciting over an hour long interview between Philip and Ruth Wilson. And it's the kind of thing where I really wanted to listen to that interview. But equally, obviously, we paid for all three books at the time. And it was kind of a is an hour long interview worth me buying them again? And then, yeah, to basically have you you can listen to it anyway was just incredible. Because this I think anyone that doesn't already own the audiobooks, they are a thousand zillion. Quadrillion percent worth worth buying. The only reason I hesitated not buying these new releases was because, well, I have you know ninety five percent of of the hours of content already. So yes, and I mean I should clarify, you don't have to buy all three to get the interview, but I think once you've listened to the first one, you're gonna want to listen to all of them. Yeah. So yeah, uh, if those of you who don't know, the trilogy begins with Northern Lights, then you have the Subtle Knife, and then the Amber Spyglass is the third in the trilogy.
0: Um, so I really appreciated the interview at the end because it did mm. it gave a, a lot of context to different things that happened within the series so yeah. my my personal experience of these books i didn't um listen to the audiobooks i like popped i read the books ages ages ago mm-hmm. um it must have been like more than over a decade ago so i kind of sort of knew the, the things that happened in mm-hmm. the book but there's so much that i'd forgotten and yeah i mean um, even i've forgotten <laughs> quite yeah it's just kind of I, it was just i couldn't believe how many things that i would misremembered.
1: Yes actually on the subject of misremembering I want to quickly get my embarrassment out of the way first because I have a correction to make Uh, because in our first ever episode back in uh, series one when we spoke about our kind of top five and this was obviously in my top five I mentioned that both the the actors for Will and Lyra changed at some point throughout the series and I now believe I am wrong and the actor for Will certainly changed Changes between books two and three, and it is a bit jarring. Though, to be fair, the second actor does a really good job of having the same sort of rhythms as the original voice. I think if he'd been intended to be a couple years older, in the book after then it would have been perfect casting but yeah obviously when you're listening to it and it's meant to carry straight on it does feel a bit weird until you get used to it but i'd misremembered that lyra also changed i was convinced that lyra also changed so i'm sorry for feeding our listeners wrong info yeah. <laughs> but i do believe she's actually the same one but yes i would remembered part of it but not all of it
0: yes yeah, so i c- i completely understand why you would think that because i think mm. her v- her performance gets much Better in the second two books. Okay. I think there's like a marked improvement. So I'm kind of just wondering if there's, she just got more used to playing that character or maybe there was a change in the direction we Mm. received. Let's try and um, organize it a little bit. So let's start off with Northern Lights. So Northern Lights or the Golden Compass as I think it might be known in the United States.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: It's set in a parallel world, which is quite similar to ours, but I'd say it's a little bit more... I want to say it. It feels like a more Victorian esque mm. time, kind That's of a little bit fair. more mm-hmm. steampunky to me, especially considering some of the you know use of some of the technology mm-hmm. in there. And we start off with Lyra hiding in a hiding in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. We instantly get a feeling of what this character is all about. You know, the sort of child that sneaks into places where they really ought not to be. I was just wondering how um the opening. Few, the paragraphs is the wrong word, but the opening few minutes how that kind of like grabbed you and got you into into the story.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's sort of a bit weird thinking about the fact that obviously I knew that happens with this being a bit like you so long ago when I first got into them. I can't kind of say it in the sense of you know someone who comes completely fresh to it. I did kind of know that's how it started and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it does really good. I mean, Philip talks in the interview at the end about how um, having Pantalaimon, the demon, is kind of like, for those who don't know, it's like a part of yourself that manifests in like an animal form and is kind of a a lifelong companion. And having Lyra be able to talk to Pantalaimon all that time is, is a way of getting the story across, getting across what she's doing, any kind of internal conflict of, oh, should she be here? Should she not? Kind of tensiony stuff. stuff. Um, you know, you get some dialogue in there when, in a sense, it's just one character in the plays, which is really cool. And then, yeah, you're getting all this intrigue from really quite early on and danger and stuff that continues throughout, th- I mean, all three books, but shifts in in interesting ways.
0: Yes, I think the thing that really grabbed me about what Philip Pullman said in in the interview was that he really enjoys reading spy thrillers, mm-hmm. and when he said that, that kind of immediately clicked something in my head because to me this very much does read like a spy thriller. You know, she's your know, Lyra, and you know all the characters in the in the book are trying to get information
1: mm-hmm. off of
0: each other. They're trying to say, "Oh, what does this person know? How can I leverage this information that I have?" About this thing against that other person, so it very does m- much feel like a, I don't I don't want to say like a James Bond because that's kind of the wrong comparison. I'm thinking mm-hmm. maybe more of um, some of the Michael Caine spy movies. It's kind of very much that sort of thing flowing through it.
1: Fair, yeah, and certainly like him saying that he's reading a lot of thrillery stuff. The kind of idea of tension building and stuff yeah. like that, he does exceptionally well. And in a way that, so this you know is marketed as a children's book but as so many people will tell you it's enjoyed by people of all ages but I think this sort of idea with you know how scary and how tense can you make something that is marketed to be read by children I think he does a a really amazing job of having that genuine tension that is suitable for everyone and effective for everyone you know it's not in any way dumbed down That oh maybe children will find that a bit tense but we're not going to find that tense or anything like that it's a really yeah just that art of storytelling and making you gripped and stuff that yeah you get in thrillers and things and that he's done really well in this
0: yeah i think yeah he definitely knows how to there were a few bits where i actually even though i know how the stories end Mm. there was a few bits where okay this is uh it's getting a bit much for me now let me just take a, <laughs> bit of a break yeah. and come back
1: yeah i think it's also quite important to say i don't mm, i don't know what speed you listen to it at yeah. but um i think the pacing that pullman has as a narrator is is brilliant and really does lend to how he's written the book i think i it is quite a lot. We were determined to read all th- listen to all three of these before we recorded this episode. So even with my head start, it was quite a lot to get through. Uh, and I did consider kind of turning it up a little bit. But even when I just turned it up to like 1.1, 1. 1, it just wasn't quite right for me because his pacing is just so perfect um, when he's speaking.
0: Yeah, so I listened to the first two books pretty much at normal mm-hmm. speed. The third book, I just I didn't have... A choice i had to kind of the <laughs> yeah. time it's, it's a so the the first two books i think are well i'm looking at it now so this is around 10 hours for, for northern knights uh, around nine hours for subtle knife and then the amber Glass is an absolute monster i think it comes <laughs> over at 15 hours or something so i just i didn't have time i didn't have time to yeah. kind of like to get through it um before the weekend yeah it is kind of like that pace in the way not only the way that he narrates but kind of the way All the, the, the vocal, the vocal, <laughs> yeah. the vocal performances here are mm-hmm. just absolutely like, magnificent. So I kind of mm. get why you you fell in love with, with these um, Indian books when you was uh, younger. Um, mm-hmm. that f- for me, Joanna Wyatt as, as Lyra is is, mm-hmm. is fantastic. But you know, I think the two standout performers for me are uh, Mrs. Coulter and mm. Lord Asriel kind of whenever those two are performing, it just it just draws you in so much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, I love the voice of Mrs. Coulter. I really do. And I think she has that thing that you get in the beginning of the book. You're told that she is captivating, you know, that no one can escape her. She's, you know, the Pied Piper of these children and no one can escape her charm and things like that and her elegance, and I really do think that comes across in The Voice. I don't think we'll talk about it too much, because obviously we're we're mostly reviewing this audiobook, but we can't ignore the BBC series going on at the moment. I've,
0: I've not watched it. I've not have seen any not? Of that's alright.
1: That's okay. Uh, well, that makes it easier for us to not get bogged down yeah. in that too much. Yeah. But I imagine that um, you know, if a lot of people come across this, they haven't read the books, maybe, but they might have watched the TV show and be thinking about, you know, well, I want to read the books. Why not listen to the books? Um, but what I'm wanting to say is that the voice of Mrs. Coulter in this is a lot more like from the film version so of the golden compass with nicole kidman um it's a lot more like that the feminine elegant voice that i think is taken a different way with Ruth Wilson I really do like Ruth Wilson's performance but I do see her Mrs Coulter as a different Mrs Coulter to my Mrs Coulter from the books I think my Mrs Coulter from the books is a lot closer and partly because of this voice a lot closer to kind of Nicole Kidman Mrs Coulter and yeah I think that's an interesting distinction and something to be aware of if you are coming to this from the tv show is that you know she is different to that but yeah that kind of idea that she's irresistible and kind of this picture of innocence and yet the complete opposite of it all rolled into one. I just think, yeah, really, really wonderful.
0: Yeah. I think she does this wonderful job of her voice is like, like honey. It kind of just like, just, Mm -hmm. and and it's like honey in that it's sweet, but if you're not careful, you'll get stuck in it Mm -hmm. as well. You're not going to be able to um, escape from it. And it's, it's very obvious that she's, it really comes across with her vocal performance, how yeah. she gets people to underestimate her mm-hmm. all the time, even though all right, she's got this fearsome reputation mm-hmm. um, within which, whichever person she comes across and right. they know she's a dangerous person yet. And yet yeah. every I time mean, she has she's got this
1: in. golden demon, that's fierce, yeah. you know, they can yes. see. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So for me, th- those were the, especially in Northern Lights though, those three performances, mm. I think really carry, carry that first book through and kind of, especially that sequence where that evil monkey grabs mm-hmm. hold of like pantalime and the way she just calmly just says, you're just, just going to be a nice girl now for the rest of this party. The yes. way she gets through that sequence is just, whoa, oh, wow. Yes.
1: And I think that is a very good scene to pull out for that comparison with the TV thing as well, because, you know, if you analyze those two different actors' performances of that scene, I think yeah you have very different tones you have one that just kind of gets very angry um is effective but isn't what i find in the book like with this one where yeah it's that really calm controlled and it's almost more terrifying because she's not letting go she's not letting loose of that anger and that almost makes it yeah even more scary and sinister
0: yeah because there's that kind of element of gaslighting in there as well isn't there
1: Mm.
0: yeah it's just kind of like well you know this is this is your fault that this has happened
1: yeah sort
0: of thing so yeah so that is particularly terrifying really so um
1: i think also as well you were saying about um and i think we've got to commend the fact that the performer for Lord Asriel also does quite a lot of other voices. Yes, um, I know that partly from the credits, and then also there's just some distinctiveness about his voice that you can't quite hide <laughs> when he's doing other things. And certainly in like the last book, doing the kind of the poetry voiceovers and stuff, um, which are great, and you can you can tell that it is kind of the same person. But that doesn't—I don't think—that pulls away from it for me. I know often we commend people who can change their voice so much, you've no idea it's also them. But I think actually, you know, we can credit. This guy for doing amazing performances of different characters, where even if you do know, okay, maybe it's the same person reading it, it doesn't in any way ruin any sort of illusion. Um, he still does a fantastic job of being these different people. And yeah, I think that's definitely something to commend there for sure. Yeah,
0: there's kind of a certain reverb, kind of like there's mm. a very kind of um, like his, I don't know if, if his voice is deep, but there's kind of like, there's a depth and richness, especially when he's Lord. Asriel, kind of like that—that that sense of contempt that he feels for any, for everyone around him—is mm. kind of it runs all the way through the performance. Which I think, I, I mean, I definitely picked up his his playing other characters, but the fact that he really nailed like Lord Asriel's mm. like
1: yeah.
0: arrogance.
1: Oh I yeah, think,
0: yeah, mm. it's just I I'd kind of forgotten how horrible Lord Asriel was and how mm. horrible Mrs. Coulter was and how horrible many many of the adults in, yeah. this, <laughs> in, in this story were and uh, especially in kind of northern lights i think there's a maybe a bit of better balance between you know good grown-ups and bad grown-ups
1: yeah i think that's one of the great things about the trilogy as a whole is the idea and that you know i think they do say it in the final book it's that idea that good and bad isn't who you are it's what you do you know the idea that Different people can do really terrible things. People can do really good things. And maybe we don't need to get bogged down in, are they good people or are they bad people? We don't need to get bogged down in that judgment, but we can still appreciate right and wrong of actions and stuff. And I think that is a a massive theme throughout the entire thing that, yeah, like you say, comes across in that. Yeah. Yeah. Before we move off on voices, um, I just wanted to talk about Pantalimon's voice because this is maybe a maybe a slight criticism. Obviously, you know how much I love this book and will defend yeah. it to my death, but I can also be a little bit critical as well. There's clearly a choice to it. his his voice is quite different often when changing shapes, so cause children's demons can change oh, f- to different animals. Yeah. yeah it d- was a d- bit strange for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I liked it. I sort of maybe see why that would be a good idea. I don't know that I loved it. Yeah. What did you think?
0: So, so I, I I got like a little bit confused because it felt like he was changing accents yeah, at some point. Like, mm, yeah, yeah. So I was just and then I was wondering, oh, is it is this like a deliberate decision or is this kind of the actor's Natural accent coming through, and he's not being able to. I get. Yeah, you. so yeah, but the, the point that you made about maybe he has different voices in in different animals—that's mm. not something that ever ever actually occurred to me. And if if that is a Fair. choice that they've made in the direction, then that is that's quite clever. But it may be a bit too Isn't clever. The most
1: successful. Yeah, I get yeah. you. I think I think my impression is my just complete guess is that I think maybe it was some way of without visuals doing a bit more to indicate that change thing. But yeah, like you say, I'm not sure it fully hits the nail on the head all of the time. It was a bit of a, a strange choice to I me. Mean, still wonderful. Doesn't in any way ruin it. Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, I wondered what you thought about that. Yeah. Well. So
0: yeah, I, yeah, I, I did notice the, the change in accents. So um, let's get onto the, the plot a little bit of, of Northern Lights. We start with Lyra. She's basically, I'd forgotten what a a tricky character Lyra is Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes because she does. She's this boastful, arrogant, loudmouth. (laughs) <laughs> uh, liar, um, mm-hmm. that that just kind of she's like the the kid in your class that is oh you know well my uncle did this and so mm-hmm. I, I had a <laughs> there was a boy that I used to go to school with and his dad used to work in films and he'd always come back with stories about oh yeah I was allowed on this film set and mm-hmm. I met this actress and oh I did this and I did that and he was just he was just bullshitting.
1: Mm. All the time, and
0: he kind of that very much rem- reminded me of kind of Lyra, like this very confident mm. uh, young girl, but she feels like she needs to be like the boss and the center of the tension mm. all, all of the time. And that's um, something I'd forgotten.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing. It is funny thinking about that now, when having finished all three books, and that kind of that change in her, a lot of it was Will's influence, another character yeah. that comes in. But also, like you say that, you know, wanting to be center of attention. And yet she is, as that blurb indicated, the center of all these universes, you know, she is the the decider of of this outcome of this battle, you know, all the destiny and, and fate and stuff ends on her shoulders. And yet, rather than that, you know, encouraging the, I must be the center of attention thing, it does the opposite, you know, it kind of humbles her in a way, which is really quite interesting that, yeah, what she wants is to be the most important person. Arguably you could say that that's what she wants in the beginning ones. Um, And yet when it turns out she is actually, she changes in different ways.
0: Yeah, so one of the things that I found really struck me as um, curious was how Lyra was raised in this uh, university mm. setting. And one thing that I didn't, I couldn't quite square was it just the way that um, it's described in the book. There doesn't seem to be a lot of um, female children around. She does seem to be mostly spending her time with boys. I was just wondering if that struck you as odd as well or not.
1: It wasn't necessarily so much that that bit was odd, it was more that when you have comments from people of, oh, you need to spend more time with girls your age, things that just kind of annoyed, <laughs> annoyed me, Yeah. because she was perfectly happy with, you know, the clay children, I think. And I think maybe it's it's less so much the fact that she was around a lot of boys, and more the fact that it didn't matter what yeah. their gender was and so you didn't really know it was just the children from the clay beds and the egyptian children and the townies and you know it was it was that kind of thing it was groups of children and gender didn't yeah. really matter which is probably part of you know tying into those themes of um changes when you go through puberty and stuff like that that's such a big thing uh yeah. in you know the book plot wise not just thematically yeah. um but yeah i think it's It almost highlights, and I don't think this was the intention with comments that are made. It almost highlights that idea of why should we have to lose that, you know, thing where it doesn't, it didn't matter to her who she was hanging around with, and it was just other kids, and that's what mattered, as opposed to yeah, kind of you get things of oh because young young girls your age know certain things that it's just mm, that I don't think is really yeah necessary sort of goes backwards
0: a bit yeah I think so I think that for me just from like world building perspective I just I, mm-hmm. I just found it odd that what this that none of the university staff had like goals had daughters. children <laughs> it was just like well, what we're all the daughters I don't, I, I don't understand are they yeah but like yeah. shut down in the basement somewhere so I just uh, yeah I didn't I, I didn't you. really um, understand that and yeah and the, kind of the other thing that really does come across in the book well for certainly my interpretation of like the way Pullman performed it and from the vocal performance of Lyra is how desperate Lyra is for love and affection Mm, kind of there's that real, you know, it it does come across like she's getting little bits uh, of pieces of um, affection from lots of different people, but there's not that one contained like source that's kind of like focused purely on her. And that kind of, yeah.
1: Yeah. Like you say, I mean, she didn't have a single parent or even parental figure. You know, that's what you're saying about that uniqueness of the situation that she's in. It's not even like, okay, the parents that she has aren't her biological parents, but they're still just as much her parents. It isn't that. She doesn't have parental figures. She has adults in her life, but not parental figures. And yeah, that possibly does, um, like you say, lead into that uh, really desperately wanting affection um, from people. And it is then interesting when you have uh, Will's story coming in there and there's a very clear difference there because of his you know sh- strong relationship with his mother and how important that parental figure is to
0: him yeah I think that's definitely true can we say I mean if we were to put a poll out on like worst literary parents I think <laughs> um I think Lyra's would be perhaps close I, I, mm. I, I think they'd be like firm favorites really um
1: very possibly yeah, yeah, apart I from think... maybe Matilda's parents are probably going to storm away with it. Oh, um, that's a, that's but, a good um, shout, you actually. Good, you make a good point.
0: That's a good shout. Matilda's parents are are pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty awful, awful as well. But that's it. I don't think... Oh, you no. Know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are actually pretty awful as well. But yes, I think... Um, In a
1: different way of awful. Uh, there's yes. a sort of like ignorant negligence, whereas... Um, I don't know. Lyra's parents do some pretty bad stuff in full knowledge of what they're doing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Lyra kind of basically sets off on these adventures. She meets Mrs. Coulter and she thinks she's going to have a certain relationship with her, and it turns into something more sinister. And she manages mm-hmm. to escape and finds herself amongst friends with Egyptians. So that's, um, I think that's a really clever thing that uh, Pullman does throughout the series is using things that are familiar but giving them slightly different names which kind of gives mm. them I don't want to say exoticism but kind of it does make you realise you are you're living in a world where it has had a different history and things have gone kind of gone differently.
1: Yes. I mean I loved that and things with being a bit well not a bit with being a big language nerd. Um things like the idea that these parallel worlds in the parallel Englands They both speak English, and yet there are some words that are different. So um, electric and baric. there's marzipan and Marge Pain or something like that. There are those parallels of just like even down to the details of language. You know, they all speak the same language, and yet there are some things that are exactly the same, and they use different words for them. But yeah, like you say, that world building is just fantastic uh, to think about that
0: so I mean just to go off on a bit of a tangent on the world so like Mm -hmm. religion obviously plays it's a massive theme throughout the book Mm -hmm. and I think Pullman himself is kind of quite a a big critic of like organised religion one of the things that didn't didn't strike me as so from from other literature that I've read and kind of other stories that I've encountered about living underneath a religious regime there's Mm there's a certain oppression that affects the way that people go around their everyday lives. And that didn't really come across to me in the books. Mm. Um, So I don't know if if that occurred to you either.
1: That is a good point. And it isn't something I had massively thought of because yeah, a lot of the kind of corruption and stuff that's talked about with the, with the church, the magisterium and things like that is on a much higher level, isn't it? As sort of um, detached from the regular people, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. I think potentially so, the, um, the Book of Dust is another trilogy connected in the same world and stuff like that. So LaBelle Sauvage is like a prequel to the trilogy, um, and then you've got the Secret Commonwealth comes after uh, the His Dark Materials trilogy, and then there's going to be a third one. And I think in Belle Sauvage, you potentially get a bit more of that. Um, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, there is a, a bit of this when they're searching for Lyra, when they're searching for Lee, and you've kind of got the... Um, You've got the officers of the magisterium searching everywhere, you know, when she goes missing and they're searching all the boats that's and they've got the flying yeah. over. Yeah, and yeah. you do get that definitely in La Belle Sauvage, that kind of surveillance and um hiding kind of thing. But yeah, I, I do I do completely get your point. There isn't that same kind of, I guess, dystopian idea that people are overly oppressed. Uh, I don't know yeah. if maybe that's because he really wants to drill home that Lyra's world is not so different to ours. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be this dystopian thing where you always feel like, oh, the church is so evil to still see that there are massive problems of corruption and, and evilness within it. Maybe. I don't know.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm just thinking about um that one thing that did come to mind was Marjam's Satrapi's Persopolis. It's a autobiographical graphic novel about her life in Iran. And okay. it's just, a lot of little things that niggle are kind of like, well, you have to wear this uniform or mm. you're um, you're expected to behave, you know, young ladies are expected to behave in such and such a way. And I think there's a, yeah. there's a little bit of that in certainly in uh, Northern Lights. And I think a little bit also in the Amber Spireglass, uh mm. as well, where, you know, as a young lady, she's expected to have yeah. certain manners and stuff like that. But I didn't know whether that was kind of down to, whether the fact that it felt like it was more like a Victorian time or I was just going to say, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah it, it gives me more the impression that it's that kind of thing. So, like how she objects when um, Will suggests she should be wearing trousers to fit in in our world. Yeah. Um, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. To me, it definitely seemed more like that kind of we're in the past rather than we're in a, you know, really oppressive place. But I do definitely get your point.
0: Yeah. So, um, I think my favorite section in, well, one of my favorite sections, one of my two favourite sections in uh, the Northern Lights is the journey up north with mm. the gypsum. I just love that entire section where she's building these relationships yeah. with with these people who've you know quite knit tight family units that have mm. suffered this unbearable loss of, you know, the state essentially covering up the kidnap of of their children for some yeah. nefarious purpose maybe i should roll back on kind of like my previous comment because like the state covering up the <laughs> um
1: kids yeah. going missing yeah <laughs>
0: yeah maybe maybe that is that is um that is pretty bad uh, uh yes yeah, so but it's, maybe should it's roll also back a little
1: bit. yeah but it also doesn't feel like everyday life does it, it again yeah. feels like something a bit Beyond that, I mean hopefully not like everyday life. and um, but yeah, so I do still think your point stands, yeah. But yeah that, yeah, that journey definitely and those all those characters are fabulous.
0: Yeah, I loved um uh what's the name of the Egyptian the old gypsum not the not the So
1: it's, it's either Lord Far or Far Decorum. Farracor- yeah.
0: I loved I loved the performance mm. by um, Oh by gosh, the, yeah. I just it's so just so fantastic. And like how you really can tell the fantastic. size of
1: a person from their voice. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, Father Corum is just fantastic. And that John Farr's got this like booming kind of like presence whenever exactly, he's uh yeah. when when whenever he's he's uh performing as well. Mm-hmm. Um so I love those characters and there was um that sense of like anticipation that something exciting was about to happen as well. Mm-hmm. So like Lyra thinks she's maybe going on a little bit of a, a jaunt and not Really realizing, kind of the full extent of the danger yeah. that they're that they're in, quite yet. Mm. Um, and then obviously they, they they reach the the North. Uh, well, it's not the North Pole. Where did they actually go to?
1: It's uh, Svalbard.
0: Svalbard. Yeah. So uh, that you know that section there, where it, it moves from kind of you know spy uh, Michael Caine stuff to spy more like James Bond stuff, where it does become about them kind of like doing more action-y things as well.
1: Definitely, there certainly is a lot of action. Yeah, I get you. I think if we're going on favourite moments, my favourite moment, even though it absolutely wrecks me every time, is in between those two things. And I'll not spoil plot so much, but when you get to it, when you listen listeners you'll know exactly what i mean is with when they find tony Macarios and all the stuff with rata with the dead fish and with the coin oh. and that poignant moment has always stuck with me it's something that they don't do properly in the tv version um i was told by a someone on the forum very rudely about oh no the, they, they said it just didn't look right and i'll be perfectly honest i think that moment is so important that if you're creating that tv show you make it look right I think that is the, of all three books, even that really is the moment of the book. It sums up, like you say, the stuff about Lyra and her personality, it sums up what's actually going on. This whole stuff about people and their demons, about children, about right and wrong. It just, everything is in that moment for me.
0: Yeah, I think it is, it is really devastating Mm-hmm. moment and it's, it's exactly kind of when you're telling a story it's very much about um show not tell and that entire mm-hmm. sequence shows who lyra is shows yes. what her values are yeah. um and it fully demonstrates the I, I don't i don't know if evils are a strong enough word but the, mm-hmm. the callousness of what yeah. the um the magisterium are, are doing to these yeah, children. especially
1: because yeah, especially because it's a thing that we can't relate to, not having demons, you know yeah. it's something that it, it, it's it, you know they keep drilling in through the book. this is weird in Lyra's world, this is important in Lyra's world, and we just kind of have to go along with it and believe it, but the emotion in that makes us go, okay, we have no parallel to this, we can't actually imagine it, and yet we can fully imagine and empathize with this it just exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's, yeah, that is, um, there are a lot of like different standout moments Mm. in the book. So I think for me, what one of the standout moments is one I've already mentioned previously, um, where Mrs. Coulter kind of like, not Mrs. Coulter, but the monkey grabs Mm. hold of Pantalyman. That for me is one of the standout moments. And then a little later on, where Lyra, kind of in the North Pole, where Lyra and um, Mrs. Coulter, confront each other about what's going on in the research facility as though mm. that's kind of another sequence there so let's try and wrap up the, the discussion like because we've got two other books
1: yeah well i think we're, we are going to do a lot of kind of stuff that is general across all three of them i think a to kind of yeah yeah av- avoid some spoilers for some people and then also because Obviously, and this is a good thing, the style across them is pretty much the same. Uh, One actual thing that is specific to Northern Lights, though, that I wanted to talk about. Now, so I was saying I started listening to them again with my um, CD copies. um, And in that, you have a, a woman who goes end of side two <laughs> uh, at, the, at the end of stuff when you've got to change CDs over. Um, yeah. And I thought it was really interesting when I then partway through it switched to our review copies from Penguin uh, yeah. and noticed that she was still in there. Um, I don't think she was saying end of side two, but I think she does say um the end of the parts. And yes. I think she even does a cast list at the end of the parts um, yes. as like a kind of credit sequence. And that kind of makes sense a lot when it's done in three box sets of of CDs, but I thought it was an interesting choice that they decided to leave that in there for this re-release. What did you think about that? Did that seem weird to you when you heard it?
0: I think, I I, I don't think it did seem weird. I think it really yeah. did help um, it helped break up my mm. listening experience, because if you've just got like and this this is it's quite a rich listening experience as well. It's, it's a full yeah. cast audio. But I think I did appreciate the fact that alright, so now I can take a little bit of a break. they yeah. decided this is where I can take a little bit of break, go off, do something else, listen to something else, mm. and then come back to it. Um, if it was just one continuous thing, I might have found it a bit more of a slog. Oh, to fair. get. I'm not saying it was a slog. I'm just saying...
1: Hmm. Do you like that? Yeah, that. that? Yeah, I
0: like that. Yeah, I liked that. I enjoyed that. Um, there's just one other moment that I want to mm. catch out in Northern Lights, and it's where the monkey... And the snow leopard are massaging each other, and just ah, oh, mm. <laughs> uh, I didn't like it at all, Poppy. I didn't like it. That's it was fair. Really creepy. Yeah. It was just oh no, no, don't do that. <laughs> I
1: appreciate yeah. that, and I think the fact that the amount of emphasis Philip puts on this idea that touching demons, as in someone touching someone else's demon, is such an yeah. intimate thing that the word yeah. "intimate" and in its connotations then does mean when uh, touching demons happens in any sort of way it does have an edge of of slightly weirdness to it i will i will definitely give you that <laughs> and you know just, oh, just the like, action of stroking and yeah
0: <laughs> oh just i, I immediately <laughs> kind of um it was like maybe uh, i don't want to say walking your parents doing something but it's kind <laughs> of it, it did me that kind of like weird oh i don't like that Lyra like, yeah. shouldn't be seeing this, certainly. Um
1: yeah. it's also awkward just yeah, just in the fact of how weird their relationship is anyway. Yeah. I think that helps make it awkward.
0: Their really relationship is really kind of that there's that weird balance of power.
1: Mm, um Yeah. They're
0: kind of she's trying to seduce him while he's trying to seduce her and it's very it's a very like toxic relationship. Yes. Really <laughs> definitely um to people that should have had you know walls built um to keep them separate <laughs> really <laughs> um so uh at the end of northern Lights, something quite devastating happens and lyra mm-hmm. is basically projected into our, our world essentially i think well not directly is the yet closest analogy. yeah but yeah So it's, it's, yeah. There's,
1: there's this middle world there's um Chisigatsu first and yes to make sure i i don't forget and i mean I, I wouldn't i'm sure he would come back to it but i i love the fact that most though not all um but most of the, of the children in this world um have sort of like italiany accents that yes. the kind of italian names for buildings and stuff like that and things i really like that obviously you don't get that in the text but um or certainly not in the same sort of way as you get in the audio those accents that match with like like i say the name of the place the name of the tower just stuff like that hearing those kind of italian style accents is really beautiful again missing a bit from the tv one but yeah i thought that was really cool yeah i think one thing i want to say when we're going for like talking about all three of them is they definitely you know work as one and like we said it's really interesting hearing the changes of of lyra throughout them but i also really like how they're three very different books You know, like you say, you have that kind of spy sneaking around with sort of trying to figure out what's going on, and there's lots of action in there in the first one. The second one is really different, and you have a second major character that comes in there. It becomes a story about the two of them rather than one of them which is really fascinating uh, and then the third one is different again it becomes much more philosophical in the third one so and yeah i think that's really interesting that although all three go together as a wonderful trilogy they also are not repeats it's not like it's a trilogy where the second book follows the same format as the first one they are very yeah. different books that tell part of the same story
0: so that's interesting you say that because i feel for me um the subtle knife and Northern Knights, they flow into each other quite well. So mm. there's still, for me, the Salt knife still is sort of a spy
1: okay, yeah, story, yeah, yeah. but
0: it's more, but it's maybe a, a spy slash heist story. <laughs> so there's kind <laughs> of, some of like, of because, that, yeah. yeah, there's kind of like Will and um, Lyra trying to uh, get access to certain objects that get taken away from them. I think that's, for me, th- those two books flowed into each other. For me, the Amber Spyglass is kind of um, quite... A massive departure from the two previous tomes, really. I okay. think, yeah, mm-hmm. I think part of that is just due to its sheer sheer length. It's mm-hmm. a big old beast, and I also think it's it is a, it's more of a polemic as well. Really, it's kind of Philip Pullman espousing his views on the way the world is and the way it should be. Where that, to me. Was I wouldn't say it was missing from the previous two, but it was more in like the subtext of what what was being said in the story, where it is far more explicit in in the Amber Spyglass.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, one of the things about it is in this story has been heavily influenced by keats poems specifically uh, innocence and experience and um, like those sets of poems and also by milton's paradise lost and another thing i'd misremembered is these little poetry sections at the beginning of each chapter pretty much in the third yeah. book And um, yes. because they make such a big impression i had misremembered and i thought that they were sort of all the way through all three of them. I'd forgotten yeah. that it was only when you get to there that you have those in there. So yeah, like you say, that's a big thing. He really makes explicit rather than just implicit reference to his kind of inspirations and sources and stuff like that in the third book.
0: Yeah. Um, just curiously, out of the three books, which one, if you t- to choose a favourite, which one would be your favourite? Because for me, it's The Salt Knife. I just love that kind of burgeoning relationship between uh, mm. Lyra and will and it is just about for me like it's it's just about perfect in terms of if I was gonna suggest a book to a 12 year old to read that wants kind of like action adventure intrigue Mm. and kind of really charismatic characters as well Mm.
1: I hate that you're doing this to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what you're doing to me yeah. um, because I really don't want to pick. And yeah. because I do see them as all so different, I yeah. do find it really hard. Um, yeah. I think if I were really, really pushed, then I maybe would agree with you. Yeah, I really like the fact that Will also comes into it. And yet Lyra isn't in any way taken away from it. I like that you have the two of them together. You've got those parallel stories that are just, yeah, really good. You know, you've got the world travel, which is really exciting. You have, even though you don't have so much maybe of the world building of What Are Demons, you do have that explored on and built on definitely throughout it uh, so yeah I think that is possibly it's in no way to say that the other two aren't as good because they yeah. really are uh, yeah. but yeah if you're gonna force me to pick then yeah maybe I do like that best and the only thing that would pip it is because of the fact that Will comes into it and adds a real different element to it as, yeah. a, as another really major really interesting character
0: yeah, and I do find it curious that they did decide to change the performers. Yeah, for Will, I don't, I because
1: I think it was probably more of a availability issue than a yeah. conscious decision. If I was making a a guess, yeah, but yeah, it is a shame because he, that, yeah, that that first performance is certainly really good. Really yeah, good. I
0: mean, yeah, it was just odd. I felt, um, mm. so yeah, we, we we end up in Chigard. This is kind of really a nightmare setting. Mm. isn't it it's kind of you know this yeah yeah, uh, kind of the adults have kind of disappeared from the world when I like my recollections of reading it ages ago and then re-listening to the audiobook is how I don't know so wild but kind of very much did kind of bring into mind of things like Lord of the Flies I thought you were going to say
1: that yeah yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah kind of you know that sort of thing where the children have been left kind of like wrong uh, amok. And I, I don't think it's described in the book, but I just had a, the idea because it, it sounds like a Mediterranean world, kind of like that um hazy heat mm. kind of making people quick to temper and tired. And there's just kind of a drain on, on the world going through Chigadze mm. or Titigaze, sorry.
1: No, it's funny. I mean, in all fairness, I think they pronounce it a little bit differently yeah. in different places yeah. as well. But yeah, it is fascinating. And it is that obviously like we've talked about, it is really interesting when you have that idea of um, we're coming into our world, you know, in some ways kind of breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Um, In the first book, we already feel like Lyra's Oxford is quite familiar to us and then we're shown oh well here you go here's your Oxford kind of thing um that's that's really cool but then also to have a world that is so different and also really really fleshed out it's kind of yeah Pullman gets the chance to come up with something completely new and different and then again with um, the world that the malefra are in in the third book as well so we have stuff that's kind of close to home and stuff that is fantastical in as something really different that we're not used to
0: yeah and that entire sequence where will manages to obtain the knife he becomes the knife bearer i think that's maybe the most thrilling sequence in all three of the books i think that's kind of like one of my favorite sequences that entire fight between will and what's the name of the boy that is it's not paolo is Um, it it
1: Or Tulio. Paolo is the younger one.
0: Yeah. And kind of Lyra playing her part in that as well. Just like for me, that was, that kind of really had me on the edge of my seat, even though I already knew what the outcome of it. it. So that's, I mean, it just just goes to show how brilliant Philip Pullman's writing is, doesn't it? Because like when you, you already kind of know what the destination is, but you're still pulled in by especially his narration during those sequences is just Mm -hmm. fantastic.
1: Definitely. Definitely is. Um, Speaking of his narration, one thing I wanted to talk about in the third book is when – Lyra's in kind of a, a dream state and sort of visiting the world of the dead in a dream. Yes. Um, you've got some really cool... So there's not a lot of sound effects in this audiobook that I'm sure we'll talk about, but yeah. there, in this, there is kind of whistling wind going on. And what I really like is Pullman's narration is then a lot quieter and also the performers are a lot quieter, but it's not just like someone recorded them and turned the volume down. You know, it's not like it was a last minute decision to add this whistling wind and make it all sound different. It's like they knew that they were going to whisper a little bit when they were saying these lines. And yeah, it was like it was already planned from the very beginning that there was going to be this whistling wind and it was going to feel whispery because you can hear that in their voices. It's not just that they're quieter, it's that they are whisperier and the pace is different and that's just, yeah. Uh, wonderful and obviously a lot of people say that one of the good things and I agree with them about authors reading their own work is that even though one of the great things about books is we can come up with our own things sometimes we want to know what the author intended you know they're the ones that wrote the words the words have been put down you know how did they want us to read them you know and that's one of the good reasons of having authors reading their books for audiobook but not all authors are going to be great readers but Pullman just really is really really is
0: Yeah, he does do a a superb job, his intonation and, you know, the Mm -hmm. pace at which he narrates. And I think that the other thing that really does enhance his performance is the fact that he's not lumbered with maybe doing different, the different character (laughs) voices. I think that really does uh, enhance his narration quite a lot.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because obviously as, as a listener, it's really nice to listen to such different voices because they're actually becoming from different people. And, you know, trained actors, trained radio actors that are used to voice acting and stuff like that does make it just absolutely brilliant thing. It's the main reason I love it so much. But yeah, that you make a very good point that his narration isn't hindered because he doesn't have to worry about that kind of thing. He just needs to worry about that part um, I totally agree with that. And while we're on really good parts and stuff, there was just one moment I definitely wanted to say about. So the actor that plays Mary Malone, there was a part when she like puts her like hair behind her ear, I think, or something like that, and she's just saying something like, like that. And just the way that she did it, you could see her doing it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like It's crazy that in that moment where everything is just audio, and yeah you have the words telling you that she does that but it really brought it to life for me it just it, it's so weird that just that little one little moment was just perfect i could just see her doing it like i'm sure she must have been doing it in the recording studio yeah. to get it to sound that you know perfectly timed and stuff like that and things where there was like um it was a conversation i cannot remember which bit but i wrote a note about it that there was like a huh while someone else was talking And now on the page, that's so difficult to represent overlapping. Like even in script writing, representing overlapping very nicely is is a really clunky thing to do. That's one of the benefits of audio. You have little overlapping things like that that just make things sound so natural and beautiful and, yeah, yeah, wonderful.
0: Yes, I mean, just going back to moments of Mrs. Coulter, particularly in this book, Mm. her entire um, relationship with uh, Sir Charles Oh, I yeah. just thought was just, oh, uh, what a creep, what, a, what an absolute slime ball. And those two kind of dueling with each other about the information that she's, you know, she basically, I don't say seduces him, but she's able to mm, cajole. Lead him this on. Inform- you lead yeah. him on, get kind of information out of him without really with giving very, very little away mm-hmm. herself. and it was just A bit
1: more creepy demon touching though.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, didn't, I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. There's a little bit more creepy demon touching between those two. Is that in the the Amber Spyglass? Or is... No, it is in... It's in the Subtle Knife, isn't it? It's in the Subtle Knife, yeah. It is in the Subtle Knife. Um, Yeah. It's two evil people kind of trying to out-evil each other. So I, I, I particularly enjoyed that. One thing I wanted to mention really quickly is Philip Pullman's knack for writing really good names. Yeah. For characters like mm. uh, you know, Pecolina, Serafina, Seraphina, or S- Seraphina yes. Piccola, um I have a Stanislaus, very, Grunman, um Yeah, I have yeah. a very
1: important comment on um Serafina. Can't believe I didn't mention earlier, yeah. but we got two new kittens last year. Yeah. And one of them is named Errol after the Dragon In God's Guards guards, don't it. Yeah. Um and the other one is called Serafina. Oh. And yeah, we we kind of all agreed on that uh, as a household as we do with our pet names, but my mum uh, has a shortcut on her phone that when she starts writing Serafina, it auto corrects to Serafina Pecola Queen of the Lake and Ara Clan. <laughs> and every single text message that we get from my mum that's about Serafina will say Serafina Peckler, Queen of the Lake and Ara Clan was, you know, chasing a bobble on the floor the other day or something like that. Um, yeah. so yes, I definitely so, agree that that's a great name and I will tell both my mom and Serafina that you think uh, she's got yeah. a great name.
0: Yeah, she's got, you know, fantastic. <laughs> uh, um, uh, Yorick uh, Bereson.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: another fantastic name yeah. and people might think, oh, that, well, why, why we talk about, as someone who writes, it's really, like one of the things <laughs> I find hardest to do is give characters names. It's yeah. really, you know, mm. really difficult to kind of, to name a character that's not, too much on the nose, but also give you a sense about who this this person is and how they kind of fit into the world. And there's another really interesting snippet from the interview with uh, Ruth Wilson and um, Philip Mm -hmm. Pullman about how he actually went about naming their characters and, you know, know, especially Yorick, kind of like that kind of means bear and um, I think Icelandic or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's uh, fantastic, fantastic names. Yes, I I love that as well. Mm
1: Agreed, yeah, definitely. I think i quite like to talk about just a little bit about music and stuff. So we talked about how yeah. there wasn't really a whole lot of sound effects. Um, yes. It's kind of a, a nice thing because it it does differentiate it from being like a radio play. You know, people hear the kind of um, full cast thing and I think the word dramatisation is used on some stuff even though it is bridge. Well, it's not really. Um, it's
0: not really a dramatisation. Yeah, it but I think just the fact
1: that because it is that full cast thing it is like a drama in that sense but they haven't you know overdone sound effects because it, it does feel very much like the book but the characters are you know read by different people and it is very theatrical in that sense and um, you know you do get a sense of them as individual people but yeah it isn't so much a dramatization and it is you know unabridged but yeah when it comes to music and stuff I think it's there's not still not tons of it and when there is some, mostly it's quite nice, but I'll be honest, I didn't love the music in the northern Lights, but I think it was more just because it was really showing its age. I thought I don't know if you agreed it was it was really quite tinny and stuff, and it sort of made me think of like um old like sci-fi.
0: Stuff. Oh yeah, like um, when they
1: have kind of you know spaceships on strings sort of effects, and you know it's not that that's bad. It's that that's the telling of the time it was done. And yeah, I just felt the the music of Northern Lights just seemed not necessarily bad, but I didn't so much like it, and I did feel it was showing that it was of a certain time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, now that you mention it, yes, I, I I can kind of agree where you're coming from. It's not something that um I noticed initially but yeah yeah that that yeah, yeah but now that you mention it i do it was a little bit dr Huey yes kind yeah. of yes yeah kind of dr Huey um is dr Huey a word i don't know but kind of it that was, kind we'll of yeah, it, it? yeah yeah but um it's kind of that like so, kind of like 80s early 90s sci-fi mm. thing going on there um yeah it's
1: kind of interesting as
0: well so there was one thing that i wanted to kind of mention really quickly about um the subtle knife and that's kind of the stuff with Will's dad, that mm. is stuff that I completely forgotten.
1: I oh, really I'd completely
0: forgotten that Will's dad was in these books. Mm. So that was a really nice, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but I i, I kind of enjoyed those section. Mm. I think he's a character. He's you know, that person as a character is mentioned in, the first book so it's very mm-hmm. nice that that character has kind of brought back into the second and third books and has yeah. this that you know greater uh, influence on what the story happens and i especially enjoyed his relationship with lee Scoresby, yeah who i think is one of the best characters in the books as well
1: yeah i i agree i think he is a fantastic character i'm very glad he was in there like you say that relationship with lee is really cool as is, is really well done i think maybe a bit of an oversight with the fact that you know Lee makes him make a promise and he, he Lee is saying I will haunt you forever if yeah. you if you break this promise and then the narrator oh, yes. goes, he goes broke that promise and yes. then together afterwards and no um <laughs> there doesn't seem to be anything that they care about that he straight up broke that promise but i guess yeah. because it worked out alright anyway sort oh. of he didn't need to make the promise for it to happen
0: um well the thing is lee might not be aware that he's broken the promise. And by the time he is aware that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was thinking because it does actually, what he asked him to do was to keep Will and Lyra together, which inadvertently happens. So yes. So I guess that does work out. All right. Um, But also I really like about the audio, the fact that uh, when you have the letters from his father, they're then narrated in the voice of the actor for his father, yes. and that is something that I think you'll probably miss if you just read it because yeah, they're still beautiful, heartfelt letters. But there was something really nice about hearing his voice read them that was just really magical. I felt
0: yeah, and um, I think it really does get across. You know, I mentioned previously, Lyra is someone who's kind of desperately looking. Well, she's not looking, but she's someone he desperately does need love and affection from a, mm. a, a one powerful source that's kind of focused on her. I think that's kind of true with Will. He's focused a lot mm. of his love and affection on his mother, but he does need, he's desperately, you know, missing this uh, male figure in his life to kind of protect him while he's protecting his mother. And those letters really, they were so sad yeah. in a lot of ways because you kind of, you know that they've missed out on so much yeah. of their lives with each other.
1: For sure. Definitely. I agree. I think just before we round up and stuff, we really should. um, I know we've kind of mentioned a little bit about what's in the interview. And obviously we're not going to spoil it all because this is why you should go out and, um, and buy the audiobook and listen to it. But just kind of a bit of a, a selling point on that because obviously Pullman has been around for a while. He's been famous for a while from these books that were out so long ago. There are plenty of interviews with him. You might be wondering maybe, well, what am I going to gain from this one? But I do think it was it was really, really good. I think you learn a lot of really fascinating things about Pullman and his past. Uh, writers will enjoy hearing about like his process and stuff. Obviously, he's written a lot about his writing. But even so, I think there may be some insights in here that were kind of different and nice but you also learn a lot about um ruth wilson as well um which is kind of cool philip kind of asks her some questions and it's a bit of a kind of dual interview but not in a sense of like it doesn't feel like he was told oh prepare some questions to ask ruth and he's sort of like had to go through them it more seems spontaneous like he's just really curious about stuff about her career and things like that they talk about all sorts they talk about religion they talk about theater which i loved with my drama background i found that really fascinating theater in general it made me sad i've not seen the stage version for his dark materials but you know there we go yeah but learning about acting from her professional background her acting uh, training and then also um philip and his love of theater in general uh, they talk a lot about the book Something that I don't love from the book is this idea that humans are somehow, you know, so much different to animals and they have consciousness where animals don't. And I disagree with that with, I can tell from my pets, Serafina, especially in her um, big personality, that that's not the case. And Pullman does go, you know, animals certainly are, my dogs certainly are, Um, and stuff like that. So it it was nice to hear him admit that maybe that's not a, a massive thing from the book. And yeah, there's such a range of stuff that they talk about in there. That I think it's really, really worth listening to for sure. Yeah,
0: I, I think for me, um, my favorite moment from the interview, and it is—it's a slight spoilers kind of uh, Ruth's approach to Mrs. Coulter, and yeah. the fact that she says that. Well, like she's half monkey, so I wanted mm. to bring that like, monkey into the way that she moved around a little bit. And I thought, oh, that's that's really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not something that would have would have occurred to me. Yeah, Um, I found uh, that
1: really interesting as well. And, you know, the idea that I think is one of the reasons why so many people love this book is the idea of that you are connected to a kind of animal form and what that says about you and your personality and you know there's loads of what is your demon quizzes and, yeah. and stuff like that that are really really cool. One thing I really liked about it is that Pullman says the phrase of um, children and adults aren't different which is really funny when the whole of the book basically the whole of the trilogy is about how they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's, he's meaning it in that kind of sense of the audience he says about like an audience that includes children but doesn't consist of them and includes adults but doesn't consist of them either and I really liked that I think that's my view on stuff like children's books and YA books and things like that it's this idea that if everyone could just appreciate that Things can be marketed a certain way, but the audience can be a whole mix of people and not be, you know, defined by any of them and no person and what they read needs to worry about those definitions and stuff like that. But, yeah, it was really good.
0: This is probably really well off topic, but I, I was reading <laughs> a, I can't remember if, if it was a seminar I attended or if it was a Twitter thread, but there was talking about this YA book mm-hmm. and they decided, well, it's selling really well. Let's see if we can sell it to adults. So they just kind of like changed the cover on it. And Mm. um, I think they added, I don't know if the author added it in or if it was like an editorial decision and it was taken out because it was why, but they kind of like added a slightly more explicit um, sex scene.
1: Is this not from our own podcast that you're remembering? Is this not what I was saying about um, Double Shadow?
0: oh maybe it's right maybe that's, that's... <laughs> i'm glad that
1: you think i'm either a seminar leader or um a professional on twitter but i will take it <laughs> yeah, but,
0: yeah 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 yeah. so yeah yeah so uh, yeah, i can kind of yeah uh, yeah i'm slightly lost words now <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um let's uh let's have a quick chat about the amber spyglass so this is for, for me i forgot how wild mm. this was it's just it's um it's a sprawling epic war story. Really, mm. and that's why for me is it kind of impacted slightly differently to Northern Lights and The Subtle Knife. Because to me, like the Northern Lights is kind of like it's an espionage thriller, and The Subtle Knife, in my head, is a heist movie, perhaps, mm. um, where the Amber Spyglass is this sprawling war epic and whereas Northern Lights is kind of is focused on Lyra and the subtle knife is very much about Lyra and Will. There are so many different characters in, mm. in the Amber Spyglass. We've got um, Mary Malone. She takes quite a prominent role yeah. in the book. There's quite large sections focused on Mrs. Coulter and Lord Asriel, and again, you know, those sections with Will and Lyra. So I was just wondering, for me, this is the most difficult of the three books to discuss because there's so much in there and I was finding it quite difficult to pick out two or three points to discuss. I was just wondering maybe if you'd like to kind of lead on what you felt about the Amber Spargast, you know, the themes, the performances and the characters and, and that sort of thing.
1: Charmaine, sure, I, mean, I can certainly give it a go. Um, It's interesting what you say that about it being like a, a war epic. I kind of hadn't considered that. Um, And I think because I'm not super into like war stuff massively, but it's interesting what we've talked about with like Slain and Gutherin and stuff like kind of. That's different to enjoying the violence, I think, and this is maybe something that I hadn't quite realised but you've made me think about, is that where in the Northern Lights you have fighting, um, you have fighting with the armoured bears, there are fights that happen, it's not like war. Whereas in this one you have that kind of idea of generals that are sitting up on a high tower moving pieces, it's that strategic part of war that's different to the battle. Um, and I think maybe that's the thing that um, that yeah I'm less interested in with kind of why I read less things set in war and stuff like that is that while battles in stuff can be interesting and exciting to read about and to listen to that I'm not really that interested in like the strategy of war kind of thing um, and I think that's sort of something that I'm aware all the books are leading up to this war for for heaven, effectively, and that is such an important thing. And yet it doesn't actually feature that high in my memory of that final book. It's sort of something that I feel we sort of go through personally, whereas the things that stood out to me more are these ideas of we're getting more to the crux of what is dust and what is consciousness and what yeah. is innocence and experience and the amazing trips to the world of the dead and the Mulefa who really stuck in my mind. It was interesting because my um, partner overheard a bit of me listening to the Amber Spyglass, and was like, "Are you still listening to um, his top materials?" And I was like, "Yeah, do you not remember?" it. like, "I don't remember these um, these creatures and stuff." Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> if there's anything I remember from the Amber Spyglass from so many years ago, it is the Muletha. They made a really big impression on me, but it just completely blanked them. Yes. Um but yeah, so I kind of remembered those things, those philosophical things, and those exciting things about the worlds and stuff more than I'd remembered the war part of it. And I think even listening to it now, I sort of yeah. Skimmed, <laughs> if yeah. you can, in a in a listening sense, past those bits. So that's interesting. We both took a different approach.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's interesting what sections made an impact on you mm. as well. So for me, I'd completely forgotten a lot of the stuff with the Malefa and kind of the uh, the, the, did the. you itself. remember
1: they existed though? Did you no, remember the wheels? I didn't.
0: I didn't. Wow, I didn't remember so the wheels. Weird
1: to me. <laughs> I, I didn't. I
0: didn't remember the wheels at all. I. um wow. And I'd completely misremembered what happened in the world of the dead. For some reason, mm. in my memory, the witches had guided Will and Lyra through the world of the dead, uh, and they'd kind of yeah. explained to them, the, in order to get through this place, this is what you're going to have to do, and it's going to be really painful. Mm. But that's not what happens at all. They kind of get that explanation towards the end of the book from the witches. So t- that must mm. have got uh, mixed up in my head. Yeah, so that's kind of uh, what my memory of it was. I th- I do think the war section is, I don't want to say almost incidental, but it is maybe the least important part mm-hmm. of the book. I think yeah. what's far more important is, A, what happens in the land of the dead, kind of them making this decision regarding the fate of those who pass away. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I think is quite important. Then th- the second bit for me is just the sweet blossoming romance between lyra and will and that kind of that awkwardness you know when you like like someone (laughs) and that you know being able to approach that and having the confidence to be around with them that kind of that you know that that warm joy that you feel and that nervous energy and that confusion that's what really stuck with me in the audio book it might be a slightly weird comparison to make but um, skyward sword uh, which is a zelda game was recently Mm. re-released and that for me captured one of the best representations of when two people like each other, but they're just too slightly awkward mm. to approach each other. So that sequence where Will and Lyra confess their feelings for each other and kind of that, you know, kind of reenacting the, that Garden mm. of Eden moment for me was breathtaking. It was yeah. just I was just like, go on, go on, go on, <laughs> you can do it, go on. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, so yeah, That that is really, really lovely.
1: That's fair. One thing I really like about that is the fact that it's so different to her friendship with Roger. Yeah, I think there's so many things. I mean, even about like children and stuff like that, where you have opposite gender are really close. Therefore, we must couple them up. We must have a romantic link there. It must be, yeah. you know, that, that's it's it's too it's too much around and yet I really liked that her and Roger are friends certainly from her perspective anyway her and Roger are friends her and Will have something different you know I don't like that idea of of more or less or whatever but it's a different relationship and I really like that Pullman does that really well he doesn't do that classic thing that so many do which is wrong for so many reasons um not least kind of Heteronormative reasons yeah. and creepy. Why are we coupling up kids in a, <laughs> in yeah. an overly sexual way? But, um, yeah, I really liked that there was a distinction between that friendship and that love. It didn't make any sort of like you're worried about one is replacing the other kind of, yeah, they're really not. They have such different relationships with each other. And I really like that about it for sure.
0: Yeah. I think there's so many characters that my heart broke for in, in this series, and Roger is definitely one of them, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, this young boy that has his whole life ahead of him. And there's just these, through no fault of his own, these horrible adults do Mm -hmm. horrible, terrible things to him. And he doesn't really get a chance. Yeah, Uh, That's, you know, I I really felt quite, quite badly Mm -hmm. for Roger. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the Amber Glass does cover a lot of what Philip Pullman thinks about the nature of religion and the nature of Mm. human beings and consciousness and stuff like that. So just, I think it might be worth talking a little bit about that as well
1: yeah i mean it is the kind of thing where he's exploring you know he's, he's asking these questions he's asking you to ask these questions of what does it mean what is consciousness what is sin what is free will all those kind of things is really yeah, how how
0: we should live our lives mm. you know, is it about making ourselves happy first or should we meet societal expectations you know, all these mm. questions he kind of um kind of uses mary malone as a cipher Mary Malone's Conversations with Lyra covers a lot of those um, Mm. topics
1: yeah definitely and I think that is a nice thing we've talked about how it becomes more explicit in this third book as to exploring what it means but there is still some subtlety in there you know it's not like it is straight up just telling you what stuff means it doesn't really lose that subtlety from the first two of you know questioning things and yeah letting you make your own mind up about some stuff yeah it doesn't like become overly obvious and tell just telling you things it does still have that beautiful subtlety of is really good writing
0: yeah it's um i think one of the things that we probably haven't explicitly said here is how good philip pullman is at writing dialogue Mm. and those conversations in lesser hands would have been a little bit I don't say wooden, but kind of heavy handed, but there is a lightness and a sure footedness in the way he's able to navigate through these tricky, tricky topics in a way that seems naturalistic and organic and coming from the heart of the characters.
1: Yes. I'm with you on that. And I think that's maybe a reason why this book, maybe more so than some others really does lend itself to having this full cast because it is really dialogue led. And obviously, you know, the, there are a lot of difficulties involved with trying to get a full cast to do something rather than just having one person reading it all. And this makes it worth it in this case because of how important the dialogue is in the story and the storytelling. So that is another reason why it's a really good match. And then I also think it's another good reason why just the audiobook in general is potentially better, in my opinion, uh, than the printed word. There are some sentences where I think if I'd been left to read them myself... They wouldn't seem supernatural, yeah, um, as in very natural, not yeah. like um, magic.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I do find that with some books that I read, you know, there'll be lines of dialogue where I go, mm, "That it doesn't really sound like a real person would say that," or it just doesn't sound natural it doesn't sound right and yet these performers even though i felt that little twinge it wasn't that i felt it because i did think it was unnatural it's because i felt it thinking if i read this on the page i might think it were unnatural like i felt other things were but the performers pretty much exclusively always deliver those lines in such a way that it seems right that a person would say them
0: yeah um yeah i think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there i mean it has been years since I've read the books, but there were certain lines in the narration and from the performers that did hit a lot harder. Mm. I think it had a kind of a greater uh, impact than if I was just reading them within, you know, the voice that narrates stories inside my head, especially that sequence where Lyra and Will realise the thing that they want most in the world for each other is something that they're not going to be able to necessarily Mm -hmm. manage performances from Joanna Wyatt and um, I believe it's Peter England there were uh, it was so, so good. Mm. It was so good. You don't get that from reading it off a page yeah. as well. Uh, there was one thing about the Amber Spyglass that did annoy me slightly. Oh, yes. And I think Philip Pullman's pr- probably pretty good at doing his historical research. You're not able to kind of build alternative worlds unless you're very well read and you know all the stuff about you know Svalbard and mm-hmm. all the other stuff that goes to show that he's done his research there's a sequence in the book where Will is having to reforge the knife mm-hmm. and I watch Forged in Fire which is this tv show about blade making Yeah, and that sequence slightly annoyed me because I just thought well c- common professor that's, that's not how you you need to go through thermocycling kind of like <laughs> And how long you're putting in the forge for well, you know all that sort of stuff so did that did kind of like take me out of the, the story a little bit I, I think that's probably only going to be me and other people that watch forged in fire <laughs> but, um apart from that yeah it was just kind of uh yeah it was it's just a massive mammoth book it's it's a mm. big book and it does really make me wonder how they're going to adapt this to the tv show I can't imagine them being able to do this other less than this is like three seasons worth of stuff. In
1: this <laughs> I get you. Easily,
0: easily yeah. three seasons worth of stuff. So they're going to have to make some really big decisions about what they cut out. And I think that's mm. probably going to upset a lot of people. And we've, there's so much we haven't talked about. We haven't really yeah. touched on the witches. We haven't really uh, touched on Jorik uh, Bereson that much. I mean, he plays such a massive part in um, certainly the first yeah. and the second book. The, you know, the way that Lyra is able to forge these alliances and make friends and mm. all this stuff. But I think we should probably make our recommendations at this point, unless there's anything else you want to um, you want to cover.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing we could go on about them for forever. <laughs> and yes. I think that's why there are so many, you know, other things of people talking about it, writing about it. All sorts. Yeah. There is so much in there. But yeah, I think I think we've done a good cover of it. Hopefully we've done a good sales pitch uh, yes. on you all. I really do think you should listen to it. I think the story is good for so many different reasons. The amount of things it explores. Like I say, just that the idea of demons, even if you're just interested in that as a As reading it as a book of how would that concept play out in itself. There's so many reasons to read it. There's so many people that love it. You know, we did a round at work in one of our meetings about what's your favourite book, and two people picked (laughs) his dark materials. Um, it's, It's wonderful. And then equally, I think if you are considering reading it, Then I think you should listen to it. I've said this before, it's the audiobook that I recommend to anyone when they say they're looking to get into audiobooks. You know, apart from potentially the length of it, I think it really is a good introduction to them and to what they can be. It's just fabulous. I'm so glad that there was all these different actors in it. I'm sure that one narrator would also have done a really great job, but I think it's just really really special for me it's like you know a tv show where you don't have to worry about the cgi budget and making any sets and costumes <laughs> or anything like that because you make all that imagery through just the words that are on the page anyway that are being read out and through the amazing way that they are being read out it's just magical it's wonderful so yes yeah. go on for head you give your recommendation yeah
0: I, I would say this is highly recommended from me as well i, I fully understand why. Poppy fell in love with these when she was Yay. younger. You know, everything, you know, the, the books themselves, you know, you can't have a good audiobook without yeah. good text. And the, the his Dark Materials trilogy is, it's a stone cold classic. Mm-hmm. And I think the audiobooks elevate the material in a yeah. lot of ways. And. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an experience you really shouldn't deny yourselves. If you've got the opportunity to listen to these audiobooks, they're being re-released. And yeah, thank you again to uh, the mm-hmm. folks at Penguin Random House for giving us access to them. I do believe they're available for purchase.
1: Yeah, yeah, they are already out, Yeah,
0: they were. yeah. They were re-released in June. I think the recommended retail price is around £16 per book. I think that's well worth it.
1: I agree. Also, um, you did a post on our social medias, follow if you aren't already, everybody, um, about ZigZag. X I G X A G. Yeah. And I did have a look and they are on there as well, which might work out better for you depending on how you read your audiobooks and stuff like that. It's certainly worth yeah. considering. But yes, I believe that they're worth buying them. Like I say, if I didn't already just have them, then I would have bought them <laughs> and then been <laughs> and then be like, Oh no, I've just bought them when they uh, penguins already gonna give us them anyway. Um so yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that like, one of the comparisons I would like to make is the graphic novel adaptations that we did for slain mm-hmm. and for me this is like a comparable product because of the production values that have yeah. been put into it in terms of the extensiveness of the cast and i mean it's a, it's a lot longer story as well i think mm. for the graphic novel ones we did i think they worked out as around 10 pounds or 12 pounds per book depending on where you got it from see so 16 pounds this is a bargain
1: yeah
0: really yeah. um so yeah so that's yeah two definite thumbs up mm-hmm, um from me sure. So I think this is going to be our longest episode by quite a long way.
1: Yes. Yeah. Apologies to everyone that there might be a few more ums and stuff left in here as I race through the edit. (laughs) I hope that didn't interrupt your listening too much.
0: Yeah, sure. And uh, what book are we doing next? Is it The Carpet People?
1: No, so next we are doing True Crime Story.
0: Oh, True Crime Story.
1: Also gifted to us review copies from Penguin Random House. So we're very excited about Yes,
0: that. so we'd, we'll do that in a couple of weeks' time. And we've got some other plans for books that we're going to do. We are going to be covering the books that we said that we're going to be <laughs> covering so uh thank you guys i really hope you have enjoyed the episode yeah. and we hope you go out and let us know what you think of the his dark material audio please as well. do
1: yeah we'd love to chat about you with even more stuff we didn't talk about on like socials and stuff like that
0: that's great okay thank you guys
1: thank you so much bye bye